The presidential field narrows after yesterday's Florida primary. Is John McCain on the way to the Republican nomination? Also, we'll ask an economist which candidate would most benefit the national and world economies. And we'll discuss Christian bashing, the only acceptable form of bigotry. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. My friends, in one week... In one week, we will have as close to a national primary as we've ever had in this country. I intend to win it and be the nominee of our party. Pretty confident that is uh, Senator John McCain, and he won the Florida primary yesterday. Uh, Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Penna Dexter. Dr. Johnson will be along momentarily. He will join us in the second segment and for the rest of the program. But after claiming victory in Florida, John McCain said that he is confident that that win is going to help propel him to ultimate victory. He gets 57 delegates for a fairly narrow win. He talked about the national poll that will be coming up next week, uh, the Super Tuesday primary. And uh, right now, John McCain, according to some polls, has single-digit leads over both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. We'll talk more about that a little bit later in the program. But uh, there was another key piece of news today with regard to the presidential race. John Edwards in New Orleans today said his bid for the White House is over. Today, I am suspending my campaign for the Democratic nomination for the presidency. John Edwards said his campaign may be over, but the cause endures. Do not walk away from what's possible because it's time for all of us all of us together to make the two Americas one. He has not endorsed another Democratic candidate. He will not do so for a while, but he has gotten assurances from both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama that they are committed to the issues that are important to him. They have both pledged to me, and more importantly through me, to America, that they will make ending poverty central to their campaign for the presidency. So with John Edwards quitting the presidential race, also the failure of the Giuliani strategy and this McCain win in Florida, the equation continues to change. And as I said, the next race is February 5th, Super Tuesday. It will be in effect a national primary. We're going to talk about what's at stake. Get your thoughts later in the program. And uh, another question we'll be asking is what would it mean to the U.S. economy or for that matter to the world economy 
if Americans were to elect one of the Democrats running for president, what about one of the Republicans? We're going to interview an economist, and uh, we will ask him how to make poor nations rich. That ought to be very interesting. But uh, first of all, there is a, a newly formed group out there that is fighting Christian bashing, and its leader has been in the pro-family movement for many years. He was most recently executive director uh, for the Center for Reclaiming America. That is the group that was part of D. James Kennedy's Coral Ridge Ministries. He's with us now. His name is Dr. Gary Cass. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for joining me. Well, uh, Gary Cass is supposed to be with us, and uh, Andrew, I pray that you'd let me know if he is or if he isn't. Perhaps we've lost uh, the guest. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we may get him back on the line in just a moment, and we will talk about uh, Gary Cass and with Gary Cass about his new book, which is entitled Christian Bashing, uh, and uh, the subtitle is Christian Bashing and the Christian Anti-Defamation Commission. That is Gary's new organization. He's got a new effort out there, and uh, he basically says that the last acceptable form of bigotry in America is alive and well. He says that it's growing more intense and more hysterical by the day, and I think we've seen this with some of the statements that have been made uh, by certain atheists in their books, even some that we've interviewed. As a matter of fact, uh, Christopher Hitchens is the author of one of those books, and he's an atheist, and uh, if you'll remember on the day that Jerry Falwell died, he appeared on CNN, and he referred to Dr. Falwell as a little toad, a horrible little person, an evil old man, a conscious charlatan and bully and fraud. And you didn't hear uh, really a lot of media criticizing him for that rude and mean comment, and that's just one example of some of these things that are taking place uh, with regard to Christian bashing. Now, if you said something like that about a Muslim or a Jew or any other group, you'd be crucified, you'd be massacred. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure what's happened to our guest, but I want to go to another issue while we're waiting uh, to get him back, and that is to, has to do uh, with one of the candidates who did very well yesterday, John McCain. Uh, he has been criticized by conservatives for his position uh, on uh, confirming the president's judicial nominees. John McCain was part of the gang of 14 who uh, basically made it, they say, possible to confirm two Supreme Court justices, but also made it impossible to get certain of President Bush's nominees confirmed. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about that. President Bush addressed that in his State of the Union address last night. Uh, but we've got Gary Cass uh, back. And uh, we're sorry that uh, we had a little problem, Gary. But thank you very much for joining us. Uh, what a delight to be with you. I apologize for any technical difficulties. It seems that it's okay, Gary, to bash Christians. It's not okay to bash any other group. Why is that? Well, you know, there's... Uh probably a couple of reasons why people like to pick on Christians. Probably the most obvious reason is because, frankly, Christians are doing a pretty good job now of engaging the culture meaningfully. Uh, for decades, Christians had abdicated the culture to people of secular persuasions or liberal persuasions, and now that Bible-believing Christians have re-emerged as a significant force in the culture, there's a lot of people who are very aggravated about that and, frankly, would like us to go away. And the way that they are 
intending to uh, deflate our influences by marginalizing us, by defining us and defaming us, so that when we do speak or when we do try to assert uh, our values in the culture, that somehow uh, our influence will be mitigated. And uh, so they spend their time uh, defaming us in an effort to try to uh, mitigate our influence. You know, we've noticed uh, that there have been some recent best-selling books by atheists. Uh, I mentioned before uh, you joined me, Christopher Hitchens, and his book, uh, and, of course, his awful, mean comments about Jerry Falwell the day he died. We've also interviewed on this program Sam Harris, uh, who wrote uh, a book basically bashing Christians, and he thinks that Christians are dangerous. Is there a real fear that Christians are dangerous, or is this just rhetoric on the part of some folks? I think in their mind, uh, it's very true that they see us as dangerous. In fact, um, Barry Lynn said that James Dobson was the most dangerous uh, threat to democracy in America. Uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens said of Jerry Falwell that he was a danger to democracy. These are terms that these guys are very happy and very free uh, to use and bandy about in reference to our higher-profile leaders. So, and by extension, of course, the, they're extending it to us and our values. So they truly see that, and they don't realize that, frankly, the, the republic that they enjoy here in America is the result of Christian thinking and Christian uh, jurisprudence and, and law theory. So it's really kind of an irrational fear, but in their minds, it's very real. Gary Cass is with me, and he heads up a new organization, the Christian Anti-Defamation Commission. It's a nonprofit group devoted to protecting the rights of Christians to confidently live their faith. He also has a new book out, Christian Bashing and the Christian Anti-Defamation Commission. Well, it's obvious that you think, Gary, that uh, we should be doing something about this as Christians, that we shouldn't just sit back and allow the situation to continue. Is there a biblical mandate for that? Well, I, and I appreciate the opportunity here to plug the book, because obviously in one radio program we can't address all of this. And right. there are some, some sincere people with uh, sincere questions about that, and I try to, in my book, answer that, and they can get that book uh, through our website, defendchristians.org. And I try to take time to take those questions seriously. Um, there are people who raise objections, and I don't think they're uh, sincere objections. Frankly, uh, a lot of people are just afraid to say and do the right thing, and they'll look for any justification in the Bible or elsewhere. And uh, certainly nothing I can say can uh, give somebody a backbone. But the Bible is very clear that we have both an affirmative duty to proclaim the gospel and the good news, and extend the invitation of, of God's grace and salvation in Jesus Christ. But there is also an equal duty to defend the gospel. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1 that he was appointed for the defense of the gospel. So uh, I think it's very important for the Church to be able to be both offensive, and if you will, uh, proclaiming the gospel freely, and defensive, defending it from its critics. And part of the way that we defend the gospel is by defending the church, because if our critics can marginalize the church and its leaders and all of Christendom, 
then nobody's going to want to hear the gospel. So it's all bundled together, who we are, our reputations, and the gospel. It's very important that we realize we cannot uh, extricate ourselves from this connection, and we have to defend both the gospel and ourselves so that we can continue to be heard in the culture. There are some really high-profile people who get to bash Christians regularly. We have talked many times about some of the statements of Rosie O'Donnell, and you mention also in your book uh, Bill Maher, who regularly belittles Christians, of course, Howard Stern and others. But, uh, Gary, we don't have much more time, and uh, there's one more question I want to ask you. It has to do with this presidential race. And, you know, in a sense, a one candidate, Mike Huckabee, uh, some people are really happy he's running, and, you know, it's nice to hear him defend the faith uh, on the campaign campaign trail and in debates. But there are even people, I would say, on the Republican side, the conservative side, that don't feel that he really has the right to uh, have such an influence and do as well as he did do for a little while, simply because he's been a pastor and because he's a Christian. What do you have to say to that? Well, um, I think, again, the other side has done a masterful job now for year after year, decade after decade muddying the water about this notion of separation of church and state. It's gotten to become ridiculous about how uh, Christians are to comport themselves in a free society. Uh, If we were to let our critics drive the agenda, we would never speak of Christ outside of the four walls of the church, which is exactly what they were doing in the Soviet Union uh, when I was there as a missionary. You could preach the gospel all you want, as long as you only did it within the church and you didn't try to influence others and you couldn't even evangelize your children. Some people have this very radical notion that all of religion is only private and must be restricted. And uh, therefore, they don't understand how a minister can have public office. I had a modest public office when I was pastoring in San Diego, Mm. and uh, that was quite a scandal that a, a conservative minister would run, and, and I actually got elected to the school board in my area thinking that a pastor ought to do that. But for some people, uh, they think the moment you become a Christian, and especially if you become a pastor... It's, it's like it somehow, disqualifies you. Yeah, you're disqualified just by virtue of, of that. And uh, Gary, so I've got to jump in because we're heading up uh, here on the end of the segment. I so appreciate you joining me today, and uh, you've sure. got some important things today to say, and we need to continue this discussion. We'll have to have you back. Dr. Gary Cass has been with me, and the website, again, is defendchristians.org. Go there and find out more. He's got a great book out. Next up, uh, we're going to hear more about Christianity in America from Dr. Richard Land. Dr. Johnson will be with me, and we'll also take your calls, what you think about this presidential race has the equation changed stay with us churches all over town christian radio and tv god opens the windows of heaven to you the pledge of allegiance and in your pocket on a few coins a declaration of trust one nation under god we should be looking for candidates who endorse us criswell college presents a lecture series to explore if it's still true one nation under god dr richard land president of the ethics and religious liberties commission will be speaking it is our 
responsibility to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You are invited. We've got so much to talk about. January 29th, 30th, and 31st at the Criswell College in Dallas. We'll hear if America's past is on track with America's future. One nation under God. Listen also for extra coverage from the CRN News Team. More of the music and ministry you can trust from the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. This has been a record turnout because Floridians wanted their voices to be heard on the great issues that affect our country and the world. I am thrilled to have had this vote of confidence that you have given me today. Okay, that's Hillary Clinton. She's celebrating a victory in Florida, uh, but it's a hollow victory because there are going to be no delegates as a result of that victory. She did beat Barack Obama in the votes. Uh, One of the strange things that happened was of the voters who voted in the last three days, she and Obama split those votes right down the middle. And I think that's showing that Obama is surging and that she's in trouble when it comes to um, when it comes to the momentum factor. And this state did not count. She did not campaign there and he did not campaign there. We'll find out how she's really doing next Tuesday. But Penna, I want to talk about the Republican side of the aisle for a minute because a lot of conservatives, a lot of Christians um, are thinking toward a Republican candidate. Who will they support? And there's quite a dilemma. You know, I had a phone call um, on my recorder two days ago from one of our listeners. If you're out there today, um, maybe you want to call back. But you said to me out there, sir, that um, you were disappointed that we were not supporting Huckabee, uh, endorsing him, backing him, giving him a lot of PR. Uh, He's a Christian and that you wanted Jesus in the White House. We needed Jesus in the White House and that it's so important to have a born-again Christian in the White House. So I think there are a lot of Christians thinking, here's Mike Huckabee, a Baptist minister, he's pro-life, and wouldn't we support him as Christians automatically? And then, of course, we have uh, Mitt Romney, who is a Mormon, and uh, but seems to be conservative on the pro-life issue, the pro-family issue. And we also have John McCain. And John McCain winning in Florida winning over Romney, winning over Giuliani and Huckabee. And I want you to listen to McCain celebrating that victory. I trust in the courage, good sense, resourcefulness, and decency of the American people who deserve a government that trusts in their qualities as well and doesn't abrogate to itself the responsibilities to do for the people what the people can and want to do for themselves. Okay, Penna, he he had a lot of conservative talking points in his speech last night because now he really does need to win the conservative wing of the Republican Party uh, because he's been out of favor with them. And uh, Giuliani is endorsing him, Giuliani dropping out of the race after the loss last night. Of course, that's not going to encourage conservatives. And uh, I want to remind our listeners, I mean, we're not going to endorse any candidate on this program. We just don't do that. But... um, 
I want to remind our listeners about concerns with all of the candidates that, that we might have. And I want to go back to James Dobson on this program. James Dobson speaking about his concerns on John McCain. Speaking as a private individual, I would not vote for John McCain under any circumstances. All right. He said under any circumstances. Now, what we did is we played for Dr. Dobson, uh, John McCain's comment that he would support gay marriage. He actually said that on national television once, and then he tried to kind of backtrack. Mm -hmm. Here's Dr. Dobson again. I pray that we won't get stuck with him. Okay. So Dobson, very clear on not supporting with John McCain. Now, this went to CNN. It went to Fox. It went into MSNBC from this program. Got Jerry Johnson, and I, we mm-hmm. got a lot of coverage on this. But McCain is back, and he's the front runner. And I think many Christians are going to say, we don't know if we can support John McCain. Uh, a lot of people would say, well, I don't understand why you don't support or you're not wholehearted for Mike Huckabee. Again, he's a Baptist. He's a Christian. Well, number one, we don't endorse candidates here. We have given Mike Huckabee probably more airtime than any other candidate. We had him on before anybody else had him on. We've had him on twice, um, and uh, we've invited him since then. And right. we mean to have him back. But uh, we have given him a lot. We've done an a, in-person interview at the Southern Baptist Convention. He came and he sat at our booth, and we had a great time with him, and it was an excellent interview. But there is a danger in supporting someone because they say they're a Christian or born again or they are a Southern Baptist. Um, And I want you today to think about this. Who are some of the other Southern Baptists that have run for president? Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, Al Gore. Mm Mm-hmm. Southern Baptists don't have a very good track record when it comes to presidential candidates. Now, I think Huckabee is a contrast to those men, not really a comparison. He is truly pro-life, and on the moral issues, he's solid. But we've been having God and Country Week here at Criswell College this week, and the Criswell Theological Lectures, Dr. Richard Land has been speaking every day precisely about these issues, and I want to encourage you to come tomorrow. It's at 10 o'clock at our chapel here at Criswell College. Go to our website if you want to catch up on the two lectures. Go to jerryjohnsonlive.com. You can hear today's lecture, yesterday's lecture. But let's just listen to some audio from Dr. Land today on Jimmy Carter, the born-again president. There have always been people who have said, you know, have taken the mealy-mouthed approach. Uh, under mealy-mouthed in the dictionary, there's a picture of Jimmy Carter. Now, I know some of you who are old enough made the mistake of voting for him once. I didn't. I smelled a phony a long way off. Jimmy. Jimmy, who says, I'm a born-again Christian. And then in the next breath says, and I believe in the basic goodness of the American people. Well, a born-again Christian who has any consistency in his brain doesn't believe in the basic goodness of anybody. Because born-again Christians believe we're all born with a sinful nature and an environment inclined towards sin, and we're going to sin, and we're going to need redemption and regeneration. Well, Jimmy Carter, some of you who are old enough will remember these painful memories. Jimmy said, well, I, now I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I don't believe I have the right to try to impose my values on anybody else. So he wants to keep abortion legal. Right up through being partially born. And he's one of the reasons that we have continued to have 
one out of every four babies in this country aborted every day. All right, that's Dr. Richard Land uh, on Jimmy Carter, a fellow Southern Baptist. And I think it's very dangerous for us to rally to an evangelical, born-again, Southern Baptist, Baptist candidate and say just because they're Baptist or evangelical or are born-again, or they say they are, that we would support them. What we're really concerned about, Penna, are Christian values. We talk about the Christian worldview on this show, and as Dr. Land said, you know, Jimmy Carter really didn't reflect the Christian worldview when it came to his view of the sin nature and the fall. He wasn't a realist. He wasn't a realist about evil, and I think that affected his weak foreign policy, not just his his national politics. He the best of dictators. He did, and of course, even more importantly, he did not stand up for the sanctity of innocent human life. He thought it was a matter of opinion or choice when it is a matter of right and wrong, life and death. I mean, this is a matter that's addressed in the Declaration of Independence. We're endowed by the Creator with an inalienable right to life. Jimmy Carter got that wrong. Al Gore got that wrong. Bill Clinton got that wrong. All of them uh, Southern Baptist in the largest evangelical denomination in America, which I belong, and they got it wrong. And uh, now Mike Huckabee is a contrast on that issue. Mm-hmm. He is pro-life, uh, consistently pro-family. But there are people out there that are concerned that Mike Huckabee is not an economic conservative or a foreign policy defense kind of a conservative. And um, there is no perfect candidate out there, as far as I can tell. And um, we're going to have to prioritize these values and make the right choice. We are going to have to do that. And, you know, today and now is not the time to get behind someone just because they're ahead, because there's a lot of water that's going to have to go under the bridge before then. But I will say that the Texas primary is in early March, and by then uh, there could be some more clarity to this race. And I think as Christians, uh, we have to also use our brains. And, for instance, if Mike Huckabee is way, way behind by that time, you know, you might want to think about that and think about your values and who supports and may advance biblical values and can be elected. I mean, that's that's realism. And I think that we do play have to use that to play into our equation as believers, even though somebody might be closer to us spiritually. Now, wouldn't it be great if we had pro-life Democrat? candidate, pro-life Republican yeah, candidate, both parties vying to be the libertarian, most pro-life, pro-life constitutional mm-hmm. party candidates. Sadly, that's not the case right now. And really the only hope, it seems, for pro-life candidate of the two major parties right now is the Republican Party. And I think we can be encouraged that the one concern that everyone had six months ago, Rudy Giuliani, is now out of consideration uh, because this was the man um, whom the media had endorsed, really, as the next president, or at least the Republican nominee. And he was ahead in the polls. And he was ahead. I had someone confront me at church uh, about the broadcast saying, look, you're uh, in criticizing Giuliani. You're just going to put Hillary Clinton in the White House. And it was a fait accompli, I think, for a lot of people yeah. that Giuliani would be the candidate. Uh, our governor, I think, looks really silly today. Rick Perry. Mm-hmm. I think Congressman Sessions looks pretty silly. Every congressman who has endorsed Rudy Giuliani, who's conservative, they know better. They know better. But they thought, they thought this man was going to be the president. And they wanted to get, I guess, in his good graces. I'm not sure why they did it. 
But Rudy Giuliani is out, and those endorsements are out. And we will have a pro-life Republican candidate. Oh, Pat Robertson's another one, the founder of the That's Christian right. Coalition. Can you believe that Pat, the founder of the Christian Coalition, endorsed Rudy Giuliani? Folks, stay with your principles. Do not compromise when it comes to the sanctity of innocent human life. And certainly do not compromise before you have to, before you absolutely have to. The primaries are not a time for compromise. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Penn and Dexter. We're going to talk about the economy. Will Democrats be good for the economy? You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. As we meet tonight, our economy is undergoing a period of uncertainty. America's added jobs for a record 52 straight months, but jobs are now growing at a slower pace. All right, that's President Bush in his State of the Union address. The economy still growing, still going, but at a slower pace of growth. Uh, Today, the Fed cut the interest rate by half a point down to a 3% rate for federal funds. The stock market started off 200 points high, ended up 40 points low. What does this mean? We've been talking about the moral issues in the election. I remember years ago I preached on the pro-life issue, and a member came up and said, we need an economic revival. That's what we need in this country. And he was going to vote for the pro-abortion or the pro-choice candidate. So many people saying, I'm pro-life or pro-family, but I want our economy to turn around, and I'm going to vote for another party. And uh, we need to ask, what would that other party, what would the Democrats do, for instance, with the economy? Now, here's President Bush again today in California speaking about the economy. We've had a recession, corporate scandals, an attack on the United States of America. We've had major natural disasters, and every time we've come through strong. And that's what's going to happen this time, too. All right. Our economy has been strong, and this has been an unprecedented time of growth. Um, But what could we expect, folks, if uh, a Democrat is elected president of the United States? Now, here's President Bush one more time on this economy. If you're truly interested in dealing with the slowdown in the economy, the Senate ought to accept the House package, pass it, and get it to my desk as soon as possible. Okay, so now the president is talking about politics. He's talking about the Senate, the House, both are controlled by the Democrats. And now the Democrats are saying we need a change. Is it Hillary or Obama? What would this mean for the economy, Penna? Well, we really do have to ask that question, not only on the uh, national level, but also on the world level. And with us to do this is research economist Benjamin Powell. He is a research fellow at the Independent Institute and also professor of economics at Suffolk University. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, uh, Mr. Powell. All right. You're welcome. Good to be on. All right. Uh, that's the question we've already signaled we're going to ask you is what would a Democratic president mean for our economy here in the U.S. first and also the world economy? Well, <clears throat> to be honest, I'm not quite sure what a big difference you're going to get between a Democrat and a Republican is. Really? Uh, I mean, Bush has been a mixed bag of what he's done in terms of long-term economic policies. Uh, the stimulus package uh, that's coming out of the House and the Senate and even what Bush is endorsing is really, most of it's just political posturing. It's not going to do anything fundamental to change our economy. Temporary tax givebacks or 
fiscal stimulus packages have long since been discredited in, in the academy. It was amazing because we uh, we were looking at this threat of a global recession just last week. They just jumped in, made this agreement so quickly, and you say it's not going to do anything? Yeah, they'd be much better off. In fact, I mean, some of Bush's earlier policies, if they were stuck with, would be better now as actually a long-term stimulus packages, things like making permanent cuts in marginal income tax rates, uh, making the capital gains tax cut permanent. These are things that raise people's long-term expectation about the resiliency of the U.S. economy. Any of these short-run stimulus packages really don't do enough to actually have an effect. And there's really a lot of wide consensus in the academy about this. This isn't something that we really preach anymore. It's just politics lagging 50 50 years behind economics. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Benjamin Powell. Benjamin, let me ask you a follow-up question. Not much difference between Bush, maybe, and the Democrats. And I would agree with you on the spending side of the ledger and even on the stimulus package, which is a lot of, it's sort of a shell game. But when it comes to tax cuts and lower taxes and things like the capital gains tax, isn't there a difference between what the Republicans are promising and what the Democrats Democrats are promising? Yes. On the tax front, there is. But there's what, I think the more important side of the ledger for a long-term expansion is what's the expectation of the size of government in the future? How much uh, of our economy is it going to consume? Because ultimately, you've got to pay for it, whether it's borrowing, whether it's taxes, or whether it's inflating. All three of those are a drag on the economy. And if Bush is a little bit better on, or any Republican is a little bit better on taxes, but yet their spending isn't better, that means we're going to have to pay through it either through inflation, which we know we don't want, uh, or more borrowing, which is a lot of what's been happening during the current administration. That's something that makes you more concerned about the long-term forecast for our economy. Now, Benjamin, if you go back, let's say, to the last three major tax cuts for the highest income brackets... The Kennedy tax cuts, the Reagan tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts. Haven't all three of these tax cuts, in fact, generated a huge surge of revenue for the federal government? Uh, well, it depends on definitions of huge, but I, I certainly agree with your your notion here that cutting marginal tax rates gives people more of an incentive to work, and when they work more, more taxation on a bigger base ends up with more revenue. So I think tax cuts are a good idea. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying spending's the real thing we got to cut. we got to cut spending. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Powell is our guest, and he's got a book out, Making Poor Nations Rich, Entrepreneurship and the Process of Economic Development. And I want to ask you about our foreign policy, because in a sense, uh, uh, I think that you probably would uh, say that uh, some of the ways that we help other countries with their economies is not working well either. What should we be doing? Yeah, I think this is an important point. Uh, in fact, it's a little bit of a misconception about the title of the book, even Making Poor Nations Rich. We've got to be pretty humble about what we can do to, quote, make somebody rich. They have to but we make... can certainly help or hurt, can we? And we've done a lot of hurt. Our first rule should be do no harm. And things like foreign aid to Africa, aid for development, you know, you hear these goals about doubling aid over X amount of years. It really, the things that aid funnels into, education, infrastructure, investment. These are the results of economic growth, not the inputs to it. You've got to get your fundamental institutions, your respect for property rights, the rule of law, economic freedom. That's what needs to be there. And, you know, in 50 years, 60 years of development aid to Africa, since 1970, sub-Saharan Africa has a negative per capita growth rate. They're actually poorer today than they were 38 years ago. 
so we've been doing the wrong things. Instead, we should set a better example, trade more freely with them, don't put up barriers to their goods that want to come into our country, and things like farm subsidies in the United States. These are things we could do that, while it wouldn't solve third world development problems, at least on the margin, it would help them out a little bit. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Benjamin Powell. He's written this book, Making Poor Nations Rich. Uh, Benjamin, I want to flip that around, Making Rich Nations Poor. (laughs) And I want to ask you this question because we are looking at this election. We're looking at a choice, and we have one party that's promising federal government education increases, federal government-run health care, federal government art, federal government daycare, federal government preschool. Do you believe the promises from Obama and Hillary Clinton would uh, drag our nation down economically, or or would they actually help the country? I am convinced that the things that you just listed would be a negative for our economic expansion. And in fact, one country we study in the book can be a good example of that. We actually study Sweden's case in there, and a lot of people point to Sweden and say, look, this is a successful welfare state. And the fact is, since they've got their welfare state, they've been a lot less successful. In the 1950s and 60s, they had lower tax rates than Britain or the United States. And by 1970, they were the fourth uh, fourth richest nation in the world. Well, since then, they've adopted their high tax rates, their big social insurance policies. And I should say they're, they're good on a lot of other issues. They're pretty open to international trade, have good respect for property rights, rule of law. But still, since putting in the high tax rates in the welfare system, What's happened is they've fallen. Now they're below the average country in, term, in, in the OECD, in the major industrialized country. They're in the bottom half in terms of income. So they haven't become desperately poor, but all of a sudden that growth that was happening before, it stopped. And in fact, when you look at rates of entrepreneurship, they're one of the lowest in Europe. So putting those type of policies, basically what you articulated was Swedish-type policies, in the United States would probably have the same negative effects here. Our guest, Benjamin Powell, he's written the book, Making Poor Nations Rich. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks. Um, A lot of people, Penna, have conservative moral impulses when it comes to marriage or abortion, euthanasia, uh, embryonic stem cell research, but they feel the tug of the economy, their pocketbooks, and they hear the promises uh, that um, the Democrats are making uh, to turn the economy around, to turn it around. But this has been a very good economy. Today, our speaker in chapel, Dr. Richard Land, spoke to the faculty afterwards, and he was talking about uh, really the tax cuts that um, we've seen in the Bush presidency and what has happened in the last seven years. Everybody's talked about China and how China's economy is you know, surging and growing. It's been at double digits, uh, you know, for the last 10 years, I think. Huge growth in China. But during the same amount of time, the United States economy has expanded the entire size of the Chinese economy. That is, in seven and a half years, we have grown a China here in America. Mm. And I don't think Americans really understand how positive our economy has been for the last seven and a half years. It's been unprecedented in terms of growth. Uh, think of unemployment at four or five percent. That's essentially no unemployment. Four or five percent of people aren't employed. It's full employment. It's full employment. And, um, but we hear all this doom and gloom, particularly around election time, and we think, oh, how bad it is. 
and uh, the economy is still strong and the fundamentals are still sound. Well, this is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We want to invite you tomorrow to hear Dr. Land. In fact, you can hear him in three or four minutes. We're going to play some Dr. Land on slavery and abortion. You hear the pro-choice argument used for abortion. Dr. Land says this is the same kind of an argument that was used for slavery. Pro-choice on slavery, pro-choice on abortion. We're going to talk about that when we come back. But he's speaking at Criswell College tomorrow at 10 a.m. Gaston and Haskell Avenue, Criswell College. Go to our website. We hope to see you there. But you can hear Dr. Land in just a moment. We'll be right back. Churches all over town. Christian radio and TV. God opens the windows of heaven to you. The Pledge of Allegiance. And in your pocket on a few coins, a declaration of trust. One nation under God. We should be looking for candidates who endorse us. Criswell College presents a lecture series to explore if it's still true. One nation under God. Dr. Richard Land, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, will be speaking. It is our responsibility to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You are invited. We've got so much to talk about. January 29th, 30th, and 31st at the Criswell College in Dallas. We'll hear if America's past is on track with America's future. One nation under God. Listen also for extra coverage from the CRN News team. More of the music and ministry you can trust from the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Is the logic of the pro-choice argument on abortion as flawed as the pro-choice argument was on slavery? We're going to talk about that in just a minute with Dr. Richard Land. But first, here's some updates. Ahmadinejad of Iran has said, we must acknowledge Israel's imminent collapse. Imminent collapse. Hmm. He says, we're going to wipe Israel off the face of the globe. Lou Dobbs is saying, wait a minute, illegal immigrants could receive a tax rebate check from the government. Under this new stimulus This plan. new stimulus package. We're going to be talking about some of this in upcoming editions of Jerry Johnson Live. Today, a nurse admits plucking body parts from 244 corpses for resale. Again, the faking of human life. The making of human life and the taking of human life. When we say, well, what's the difference on this abortion issue? Once you cross that Rubicon and head down that slippery slope of disregarding the sanctity of innocent human life, you're going to have these sorts of things going on. We're going to be talking about this story later on. And then I see right now the U.S. military is developing contingency plans to deal with the possibility that a large spy satellite could fall down in North America. So wow. we'll try to follow that story if it's following to a neighborhood near you. But back to this question of um, the pro-choice argument. It sounds so fair. Jimmy Carter saying, Al Gore, Bill Clinton saying, and Hillary now and Obama, oh, well, I'm against abortion. I want it to be safe, legal, and rare, but I'm for the woman's choice. Choice, the pro-choice argument. Well, is that the kind of argument that pro-slavery people made 
in the mid-1800s. Here is Dr. Richard Land today at Criswell College. You can hear him tomorrow. Here he is today. I did my bachelor's thesis at Princeton on the slavery controversy among Baptists. And there were mealy-mouthed Baptists back then, just like there are mealy-mouthed Baptists today. And they said, well, now, I'm personally opposed to slavery. And I would never own any slaves. But who am I to try to impose my morality on slaveholders? Well, what's the flaw in that argument? The slaveholders are imposing their immorality on the slaves. That's why it's called involuntary servitude. They were kept in bondage. And when a mother aborts her unborn child, she's imposing her morality on her unborn child, and it's always a fatal imposition because the baby dies. And there were those then and there are those now who say that the government has a responsibility to extend the protections of the law to those who were in bondage and to extend the protections of the law to our unborn citizens. Now, but the argument came back, well, the Supreme Court has said that slaves aren't people. Well, unfortunately, in 1857, that's exactly what they said. By a seven to two majority, which, by the way, is exactly the majority by which they declared that unborn babies weren't people in Roe v. Wade. Well, I've got some good news for you. The Supreme Court is incapable of telling us what's right and what's wrong. All they can do is give us nine lawyers' opinions about what's legal and what's illegal, and that's a very different thing than what's right and what's wrong. And the Supreme Court has been and and often is spectacularly wrong. They were spectacularly wrong in 1857 when they said that slaves weren't people. They were spectacularly wrong in 1896 in Plessy v. Ferguson when they said separate but equal was constitutional and condemned our nation to another half century of cruel Jim Crow segregation. And they were spectacularly wrong in 1973 when they discovered a previously undiscovered right of privacy, which was sort of an imminence and a penumbra surrounding the Constitution, whatever that means which allowed them to then strike down all of the existing abortion laws in the United States. And abortions went from about 400,000 a year to 1.6 million a year within a year and a half. And we've now aborted over 52 million of our pre-born citizens because we've sacrificed them to the pagan gods of social convention, material well-being, and pure narcissistic selfishness. That's Dr. Richard Land. You can hear him tomorrow. This kind of talk, prophetic talk, at Criswell College at 10 o'clock, Gaston and Haskell Avenue. Go to our website, criswell.edu, or you can hear today's lecture and yesterday's right now on the Internet. Just go to jerryjohnsonlive.com. We have those lectures up. Thank you, Larry Williams, for getting them up and going right away. But, uh, Penna, I thought this was really a prophetic moment, what Dr. Land had to say. You know, he speaks of the Supreme Court, and if if we take us back to this election, the Supreme Court is at stake uh, not only in this election, but also in this primary, and we can go into that uh, further in future programs. Uh, But there are lessons to learn from history, and Dr. Land certainly has been helpful in uh, helping us to learn those, and that will continue tomorrow. Look, folks, uh, we could talk about the economy and defense, 
Um, we can talk about spending and taxes. But if you believe human beings are made in God's image, if you believe the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, are binding, then you have to believe that this is the most important issue for our country. And I don't see how anyone naming the name of Christ, calling themselves a Christian, could say, well, I'm going to put the economy over human life. I'm going to put um, tax policy over human life. I'm going to put um, art or race or gender politics over human life. I just don't see how you could do it. I mean, we look back at the 1800s and we say, how could America, how could America continue to tolerate slavery decades after Great Britain abolished slavery and all other Western European nations abolished slavery? How could we do it? We did it because of the money. We did it because of the money. And today... We have aborted over 45, probably over 50 million unborn children in America since 1973. I think it is the pressing moral issue of our time. And I think Christians have to be salt and have to be light. We have to speak up. We have to vote. We have to get involved. And God is calling all of us to do our part. And that's why we have this program, Jerry Johnson Live, every day to encourage you to do just that. Now, I want to invite you one more time to hear us tomorrow, to see Dr. Land at 10 o'clock, to be with us. And if you give this code out, I heard I could get the free CD on Jerry Johnson Live. If you'll say that tomorrow, if you'll come to the meeting, we have our One Nation Under God CD. It's got Newt Gingrich, Richard Land, debating Alan Dershowitz. It's got David Barton. It's got the Franklin Roosevelt Prayer. It's got Dr. Criswell. That CD, we'll give it to you for free tomorrow if you come to the meeting at 10 o'clock right here at Criswell College. And I'm preaching in Ulysses next Monday. I'm going to invite you to that. You'll have to tune in tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.